everybody, welcome to episode 85 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with Jimmy DeResta. Hello, everybody. Hello, and David Pachuda. Oh, how are you doing? <laughs> that uh, didn't have a lot of heart. That was a, oh, that, that had no, no heart in it, that one. <laughs> no, let's that try it again. In. How are you doing? <laughs> there you go. That was good. All right. I'm glad to see uh, Jimmy's growing his beard back. You're looking good, buddy. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I feel feel more at home. The beard. <laughs> Everybody nice. around me likes it too, so they must have been like, "Ooh, look, he looks weird with no beard." <laughs> Bob has a fresh new haircut. He's looking good as well. Well, thank you, thank you. You're looking as good as usual. <laughs> is that is? <laughs> well, what's going on? What have you guys been up to? I just put out a video a few minutes ago, how to use a holdfast and what a holdfast is. It's something I've been using in my in my project videos, and I get a lot of questions saying, what is that thing? And um, sometimes I just assume people already know things, and they remind me that not everybody knows. <laughs> so uh, Is that the toggle? Yeah. Is that a toggle called the holdfast? That's the um, it's 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 like an iron iron bar that uh, you oh. put in the workbench and you pound it down to hold on your workpiece. It's uh, yeah. a lot of hand tool people called. use it. Yeah. Um, but you probably do. You have one in your shop? Do you use one? I don't have that type of table. That's the problem. Oh yeah, you have you have to have a thick workbench for for mm. it to work, and yeah. um, it's just a great quick way of of holding down workpieces to your bench. So I just put up that video and. Um, uh, well, it's Tuesday, and I'm supposed to put out a video on Thursday, and I haven't figured out what that is. But in the mail today, I got some old woodworking books. They're all project books. One's from the Ooh. 50s and a couple from the 60s. So I'm going to pick a project from there and build that tomorrow and release that on Thursday. Nice. Uh, that's cool. i just uh, been working in the shop just trying to get some stuff out the door. I did my shaper video late yesterday and put it up this morning just to coincide with the timing of shaper or the origin going on pre-sale. They asked me if I would help out. and uh, um, These guys have been talking to me for a year about letting me test drive the thing, and then the timing worked out that Alon, who is uh, one of the owners of the company, called me and said, hey, can I come to New York and just give you a lesson on this unit, and I'll let you play with one for a couple days. And so he came last week, and yesterday I got to play with it for the first time alone, unsupervised, which was definitely nerve-wracking, which we'll talk more about during the show. This was just a test video. I'm going to do more. I have a couple of bigger projects. This was for me just to kind of familiarize myself, so I filmed it, and then I just thought it would be fun to make a big stencil because everybody hates me for making my stencil. So, <laughs> so it'll be a fun, a fun project to start with because it was kind of, it's always the first thing I like to do. And uh, I just started work on a table that I'm making for a client, which will probably be a video for my channel. And I am making um, Paul Evans' replica for a friend of mine. That's going to be my core video this this month, the Core 77 video. So if anybody doesn't know who Paul Evans is, he's a designer builder from the 50s and 60s and 70s who makes like real funky kind of ostentatious furniture with big gaudy lines. And he would make a lot of his work with steel. So you'll recognize his work, but you'll never know who had done it. But my buddy's a big fan of his, and he asked me to kind of make a knockoff piece for him. So that's what I'm working on right now. It's lo- lots of lines, like real 60s. Oh, yeah. Like 60s, that's some cool stuff. Really cool stuff. Yeah, it's like 60s. Um, uh, what do you want to say? 60s art, like art gallery art, but on furniture. 
So it's mm-hmm. very, really uh, cool very shape oriented pieces and mixtures of shapes. Yeah, big graphics and stuff. Yeah. And he went through phases. In the beginning, it was kind of like sculptural steel, and then he went into glass. And so he's got crazy looking pieces with like glass cubes. Like he has a series called The Skyline. It looks like New York City skylines, like blocks of glass cubes. And Dave's parents actually own a whole set of that furniture. And so that's why he's always, <laughs> he's always known. This is definitely somebody I need to familiarize myself with. Really good. Yeah, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be an eye-opening video because I'm going to talk a little bit about him in the video, and then uh, I'm going to duplicate one of David's favorite pieces. David is my friend who is my client for this for this case. Yeah, and that's it. Just um, I put out another set of prints. Everyone keeps asking me about the the prints on the printing press, and so I put out another set, and I'm about to make a whole bunch more. And I have a, a couple of videos lined up for the printing press that are different, different posters that I'll be printing. So that's always fun. We're going to spend some time in the country this week, so I get a chance to print again. Nice. That. Awesome. Yep, that's it. Uh, well, for me, I, I just got back from Seattle. I was in Seattle from Thursday to Monday, and um, Bill Duran from Punished Props had a little kind of get-together on Saturday uh, 3D printing party, and he was basically just trying to get a bunch of people together with different levels of knowledge about 3D printing with a bunch of printers and just kind of like, you know, answer questions, let people play with stuff, test things, share knowledge. And so it was, I think he probably had 20 or so people kind of in and out throughout the day. And uh, it was really cool. Got to hang out with some other YouTube people and and talk shop and learn a lot from Bill's super knowledgeable and a lot of the people there were just super knowledgeable about different things. So it was a lot of picking up, you know, new information about things, more information about things that I already knew. And so that was cool. And then we did some other stuff throughout the weekend. We shot some videos for my channel and for his channel. We did a life cast of me. They, I, I just sat there. I didn't really do any of it. Um, they did a life cast, which was a very interesting new experience <laughs> to sit still for an hour and let somebody cover your face with silicone. So does it clean your pores? Um, it probably did. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had you a special kind of, your beard? Uh, it wasn't an issue. Yeah. They had a special kind that, um, didn't grab hair. I don't, I can't remember. It's called body double. That's what it was. And, uh, it's made specifically to have, you know, short beards and things like that. And so, it didn't grab the beard, and it, it, there were a few pieces that it pulled out that were still in the mold. But, you know, I didn't feel <laughs> like it was, like, pulling my hair out or anything. So we made the mold, and then um, we didn't have time to do, like, a, a full cast in it. But he put some expanding foam, some sort of urethane foam in it. So it took about an hour for it to expand up and then totally cure. So we pulled it out. And I was blown away that the mold actually molded around a lot of the hairs in my beard on my chin mm. specifically. And so when he put the urethane foam in there, which is an expanding foam and I wouldn't think it would fill all the tiny gaps. It actually filled down into some of those hair spots. So when we pulled this head out, it actually had a partial beard. It was so weird. Yeah. Like, and it like, wasn't like a bunch of hair. It was just a couple of them sticking out here and there and you could kind of flick them off. <laughs> It was, it was pretty cool. Is this <laughs> a video? You just like rub them and they would fall away. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. Sweet. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It was a really interesting thing to learn about. And, you know, they were doing all the work. I just sat there. But uh, it was something new. And then we uh, we did a bunch of other things. Worked on some stuff for his channel and went and saw some local Seattle stuff, which I'd never been to Seattle before. 
So it was cool. Very cool. And then uh, before that, uh, last week before I left, I finished up a video that will be out before this show comes out. And it was a, uh, a prop from the old Transformers cartoon, which was like one of my favorites when I was a kid growing up. And it was the first project that I fully modeled in uh, Fusion 360. Like did, you know, started with nothing, modeled to a reference image, printed it out, did all the finishing work on the 3D print, uh, painted it, put it, the whole thing together, added electronics to the inside of it. And it's like a finished prop. And I'm really proud of how it came out. And it was just cool to go through that whole process because that's, that's a pretty different process than a lot of the other stuff that I've done. Is that the blue so, dome that, that I saw cool. somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's got like silver handles and a big orange sphere with a hole in it and then this glowing blue thing on the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that'll be out Thursday. But cool. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, remember, I, kids, I don't want to say too much, but do you remember you were working on a very complicated prototype? Did you ever get that up and out? Did I miss that? Uh, no, that is still in the works. Oh, okay. <laughs> don't, no don't say anything else about it. <laughs> Jesus. It's been a while now, yeah. so I'm just I'm just gonna troll it's, you. It's been like a year. Oh yeah, it's been a year and a half. I'm fully aware of how long it's been. Don't worry. <laughs> I saw two at the at, yeah. at the flea market the other day, and that's what reminded me. Oh hush, <laughs> sitting on it. Hush. <laughs> oh, sorry. Never mind. Now people yeah. are gonna think they're rusty so, tools that you're making. Yeah, it's taken a year and a half for me to make a rusty wrench. That's what it is. Uh, so we asked Twitter for some other topics today, as we've been doing lately, which is really handy because people have really good questions about them we can come up with. Um, so we got some stuff. Um, we haven't talked about these at all. We're just going to kind of run through them and see what we can come up with. Um, I did notice that there are several that are all kind of around the same idea of like, cluttered shop or shop organization. Um, several people just say that they have trouble with that and they don't know where to start. And we've, we've done a whole show on organization, I think, didn't we? Long time we've ago? talked about it a few times. Yeah. Yeah. There's, well, there's no easy I answer. Guess, I mean, unless you have like very few things, that's, that's the best answer is just don't collect a lot of junk like me. Keep it, keep it thinned down yeah. and you'll be better off. That's probably the truth. Um, but it's also kind of unrealistic, you know, cause the more stuff you make, the more byproduct you come up with and sure. specialized tools yeah. you end up buying. Everything has a value, you know, all the material has value. Yeah. I think one of the things that, um, I try to do, and I'm not always great about this. I was thinking about it earlier today is when I organize the stuff in my shop, not, not necessarily the tools cause the tools already have their place, their location kind of based on what they are or where they fit or whatever. But as far as like the raw materials or consumables or any of that stuff, I try to organize those things by not by type, but by use. And that those are, you know, some people do it one way, some people do it another way, but um, like, uh, like I put all my tapes in one place. This is a stupid example, but all my tapes are in one place. Um, Not like I put, all of the duct tape in one place because it's a certain type of tape and I put painter's tape in a different place. I just think of tapes. And so like I organize stuff by in that way. Um, whereas I'll put like all of my hardware is organized in one area. And by organizing by uh, in that way, it leads me to the area that I need to be in. And then I can dig in and find the specifics rather than 
just like, okay, well, what box did I put that one thing in that one time? It's just, I know that that corner over there is consumables and the top of that is screws and the bottom of that is, you know, what paper or whatever it is. And um, so I think, you know, if you can find a way that makes sense to your brain as to just where to find the stuff that you need, I think that's a pretty good start. The big trick, of course, is actually putting things back <laughs> where you decide they need to be. Answer to that is to have a dedicated home for everything, if you can, yeah. if space allows. And, right. you know, everybody will say, always have your stuff ready to go. And depending on your space, that may or may not be possible. You know, you have to move things around. But I would, along those lines, I would try to keep, like, dust bags and shop vacs empty. So if you have downtime... Empty those out so you don't get stuck in the middle of a project having to empty the bag, and that keeps your, your flow going. Um, another thing that I want to point out is your shop and shop organization is never going to be complete. So don't let that hold you from doing a project, right? Just know yeah. that your shop is never going to be done. It's always – because I – I've rearranged my shop four times now, and I'm sure I will again as I as I bring in new tools and as I have new workflows and things like that. So, you know, we are always we always have these little mental things that block us from doing something. And don't let your shop, at least your shop organization, be one of those blocks. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's tough for me. I just everything's just piled everywhere lately. It's been difficult to keep things organized because I've been working so much, and I put the essentials away back to where they go, but like little tidbits of cutoffs and stuff just kind of linger. And then they, once they hang around for a few months, then they get thrown away or given away. Recently, a lot of people have been coming to my shop and I give them things to go home with if they want the materials. Local guys will come and I'll say, take whatever material you want. So I feel good about giving it away rather than throwing it away. But uh, that's the clutter, like you said, Bob, mm -hmm. it's just the material. It just hangs around, and you know, I always think there's going to be a use for it, like cutoffs of Corian, which is expensive, and you know, good, good mm. quality plywood. I keep all the pieces around probably too long, but eventually they either get thrown away or, or given away or used up, of course. Yeah, one of the things I've noticed, uh, I've been thinking about this the last week or so, is that in my space, you know, it's a fairly limited space, I don't have any deep storage. So I don't have a place, you know, like a, a deep closet or like a, a place that is away that I can say this tool I don't want to sell because it, you know, like a, a joiner. I rarely use a joiner, but when I need it, I need it, right? So that's something that, and it's, it's relatively small. It's something I would keep around, but it would be great to be, ha to have a place where I could go put that, that was out of the way 90% of the time. And then if I actually needed to go get it, I could go get it. But right now, in the way that my space is, everything has to be in that room. And so everything has to take up its square footage, whether it's, you know, regardless of how often it's used. And so, and even for like um, supplies, you know, like you're talking about offcuts and stuff, that's another way that having a deep storage, uh, things that you just want to keep around that you know you're not going to use on a regular basis, which shouldn't be too much, but you know, having a place that you can kind of just push those things away and keep it organized in a place that's not in your daily flow, I think is, can be helpful. Maybe it's not for everybody, but. Well, I, that's, I mean, that. that's what's good. I have the containers. I have the containers upstate that I have tools in that I probably won't need unless I schedule a specific video for them mm. or obviously a specific commercial yeah. job. 
but so it does help a little bit. And a container is easy because if you have the property, you don't need to pay any extra taxes for it. You don't need to pay for building permits. You just have it dropped off, and that's that. So if you can, if you can swing it. Yeah, some of the most creative videos that I've seen and the most creative magazine articles is solutions to storage problems or small workspaces. Mm-hmm. Like you see these, uh, like a table that, that flips up and on one side is a disc sander and then you rotate it and the other side is a spindle sander. I look like just solutions like that are so unique and creative and they're, they're really fun videos to watch or articles to read. And so those, the small spaces can really bring out your creativity. Yeah, I actually am looking for it. I'll try to find a link and put it in the... Yeah, that's what I was going to look for. I got an email about that article today. Yeah, Gareth Gareth wrote that up. Gareth's my bro. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, organization's tough, and it's different for everybody based on what you have and what you need to have access to and, you know, the amount of space you have, and I don't think there's a silver bullet there, unfortunately. Um, Cool. All right, so we'll see... Somebody was asking, and I don't remember where it was, but who is going to be at which Maker Fair? I know we kind of mentioned that a few weeks ago. Um, so New York and Atlanta Maker Fairs are the first weekend of October. They're on the same day, same days. I'm going to be in Atlanta. I'm going to be in New York. And David, you're going to be in Toledo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be at home. No, no Toledo Maker Fair. Yeah. Sorry, guys. There's a Rochester Maker Fair that I'm committed to going to see. I told those guys to come back there again. So I might be at the Rochester one in November. And uh, cool. I may, I, there's a slight chance I might go to the Pittsburgh one. But uh, it might coincide with, with our weekend upstate that we're going to have with the, with the photography class. So we've got to see exactly where things fall. But we'll see. Cool. Somebody emailed me about that as well. Uh, we got to make sure that we put all the, the details for your class Oh yeah, we, we uh, we, we we got I got a few emails and it's kind of first come first serve. Uh, with Taylor as the as the project manager, and if anybody wants to email me, I'll get in touch with Taylor. But we could put the details in the show notes, Bob. Okay, cool. Um, oh, here's an interesting one. This is from Jordan. If YouTube didn't exist, would you still be a maker? And if so, in what capacity? It's pretty good. Hmm. David, go. That's all I've ever done. So, David, go. So, I, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I wasn't always a maker. It was YouTube that got me into doing a lot of this stuff. But, um, so, and I've said it a hundred times what got me into woodworking was getting my, I was a hobby photographer and it was getting my photos framed. And I thought, oh, I could do this myself. And so, I think if YouTube didn't exist, I would still be a woodworker. I'd probably be a little bit more traditional woodworking because videos have influenced what I make and what I've learned and probably will continue to in a good way of course because uh it's instead of me just woodworking I'm doing all kinds of stuff I mean uh uh you know following Bob's footsteps last week I got a sewing machine and uh, I want to explore a bunch of other things so I'd still be a woodworker but uh, I would probably be limited to just woodworking if it if it wasn't for YouTube. Hmm. If YouTube wasn't around, I probably would maybe pursue a TV thing again. Uh, but I, I stopped pitching. The way we got shows in the past is we would make contacts and just pitch video ideas. And since YouTube has come up, 
that that bug is extremely fulfilled for me. So I haven't been pursuing any television outlets. But if YouTube went away, I might I might go back to that world again. But it's not an easy pursuit. Yeah, that would be tough. <clears throat> I think I would still. I know I would still be a maker, but um, I think it would probably end up being more of a hobby. And or if it wasn't, I think I would. It would probably come out in the form of um, maybe construction, like building houses. Uh, if I could even make a living at that these days, I'm not sure if, if you can or not. Um, but that's something I've always kind of wanted to do. Not really for myself, but I've always wanted to have the experience of you know full from the ground up construction. Um, and I, I feel like that would be satisfying for a while, but I don't know, but yeah, I'm kind of the same way, David, like uh, the, the video, uh, lens, well, that's not the right analogy cause there's actually a lens, but you know what I mean? The, the way that we look through <laughs> video at what we're going to make probably has had a pretty big effect on the types of things that I make, or I think it's pushed me to try to come up with new things to make and learn new skills and stuff more than I would have left my own devices, I think. But cool. Um, several people asked about what, what's the thing we've made that we're most proud of. And they said, I couldn't say my kids. <laughs> so what, what are you, what's the thing that you guys have made that you're maybe not the most proud of, but just super proud of. I've been asked a few times in uh, the most, I'm the most proudest of my body of work. My body of videos, my body of YouTube videos, because it incorporates me making things and then also my, my photography skills, which is something I've been doing my whole life, and also my video skills, which is something that is always developing. So I'm most proud of my body of videos that I put together, that I made. My shows come in probably third or fourth. <laughs> Being on them was fun, but <clears throat> seeing the net result wasn't always what I expected and because it was out of my control. So, But the ones that I'm responsible for, I'm, I'm very proud of. That's a, you heard it here. Jimmy Jimmy is proud of his body. <laughs> That's a really good answer. I wish that was my answer. <laughs> um, so for me, I think the, the wedding rings that I make every year, we retire our old rings and make new rings because it symbolizes something. Uh, but a lot of times, I mean, if I put that aside, a lot of times it's usually whatever I'm working on now because um, I put all every bit of energy into that, that latest piece. Um, and then I become detached from a lot of things. I've learned to not attach myself to things that don't really have a meaning, a meaning to them. And so it's, it's whatever I'm working on now, I'm in love with that. And then I, I push it along and move on to the next thing. Hmm. I would say for me, it's probably of the, of the projects, it's probably the arcade machine because that was like a kind of culmination of you know, growing up and always wanting to have something like that and never thinking it was realistic. Like, you know, a normal adult, like a responsible adult doesn't have an arcade machine, much less build one from scratch. <laughs> so, uh, ha actually having that and being, you know, thinking back on all the planning and preparation and thought that went into it. And then the execution of all the different stuff that had to go together to get it finished. I'm pretty proud of that being a, a thing that actually exists. And the fact that I get to enjoy it with my kids is really cool as well. But your true um, answer is your kids. Yeah, that's the kids are definitely the the real answer. But they said I couldn't say that. So I don't care. We we run the show. 
That's right. Yeah. No. Um, so, okay. This is from Brian. What tool do you have the most fun using? The computer. Anybody? I love designing hmm. on the computer. And then beyond that, I think it's the bandsaw. Uh, I also love using the the laser when I have. I don't know. I don't have a good answer because it changes whatever the project is. Because sometimes hmm. I'm really into the laser, or sometimes I'm really into the bandsaw. But I think it all then comes back to designing on the computer, and I just love sitting on with the screen in front of me having music playing or a podcast playing and drawing up the next project. Me, I, I, lately I've been really digging the lathe, the machine lathe, my big old machine lathe I've been playing around with because I'm working on that Canon, which is a video that I'll finish one day before YouTube burns out. But uh, I really, <laughs> I really enjoy working on that old machine and figuring it out. And, you know, each time I, I have, small breakthroughs and things that I'm getting better at and things that I'm learning. So using my big old lathe, of course the bandsaw is always fun and, and uh, yeah, the bandsaw on the lathe, I'd say. Hmm. I honestly don't have an answer. I can't think of anything that particular, everything I think of and go, Oh yeah, that well, but then there's the, Oh, well, but then there, you know, you could use like Jimmy's answer thing. of, you know, he said his body of work earlier. You could just say yeah. your shop. My shop is my favorite tool. Yeah. It's the most fun thing to use. I don't know. I mean, there are, there's different things that I like about different, you know, tools. Um, I like the precision of certain tools. The fact that they can be as precise as they are, because that's a little foreign to me being, you know, that level of precision is something that I, don't feel like I really have. And so when a tool can be really precise, I enjoy that about it and I try to take advantage of it. Um, but then I also like some that are intentionally, you know, not precise, more like the hammer type stuff. That's just, it has a very specific blunt force job, you know? So I don't know. I don't have an answer. Let's see. Um, oh, well, okay. Kind of going along that. If you could only keep two tools out of all of your tools, which one would it be? This is from Ashley. Which ones would it be? And how about this? You can't say what you just said. Ooh. <laughs> all these limitations and, and walls. It makes it more interesting, which doesn't really work for me because I didn't really say anything. So I, you know. Well, I would say, I'm make I you would go say, first, well, I would say. Well, I, I have two lathes, so I could use the word lathe. I could say lathe, the second one. <laughs> I would use my, my, my smaller lathe and my bridge port. Did it say, did, we keep getting uh, interrupted with a bad connection. Did you say two tools you can keep? Yeah, keep two tools out of yeah. all of your tools. Because with the lathe and the bridge port, you could basically make anything else. So if it was like one of those like apocalypse post-apocalyptic moments in time, if I could run the lathe and run the bridge port, I could make anything and start society over. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I think I need more time to think about this, but right now, to give you an answer, I'm going to go with the CNC and the laser because I can do a lot of things with those two tools. Hmm. But you have to have the computer to run both of those. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. 
<laughs> and I can't say the computer because I used that That's in my last true. answer. Well, even if it... Okay, so you you could say the computer. Then you have to pick one of those two things. <laughs> oh. Hmm. Let's... And I, it's a tool I don't even have yet, but I'm going to get. How about that? How about the Shaper? Ooh. The, or, uh, yeah. the Origin by Shaper. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That. Um, I don't know. For me, I think uh, I kind of like Jimmy's idea, like of of having tools that can make other tools. So I think probably the bandsaw and maybe the welder. You know, I feel like between those two things, I could probably cut any kind of wood that I needed. Uh, probably cut together. some metal. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly how that would work, but you know, those kind of stick out. In a post-apocalyptic world, you'd figure it out. Yeah, that's true. If I get hungry enough, I'll figure out how to weld wood together. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, there's there's quite a few. I don't know how many more we want to do. Um, it's also kind of hard for me to look through them on the fly. Jimmy, does your recorder still say 30 minutes? Yes, sir. Okay, I just want to make sure it's not cut up into a bunch of pieces. Yeah. Am I coming through choppy? Uh, your your video's not in line with your audio, and yeah. I, it's obvious we're, we're, there's a delay. Yeah. We'll figure. We'll we'll make it work. Uh, Is Bob frozen. Gosh, I don't know. Okay, here's one from Mitchell. Here's one from Mitchell. He asks, what is the tool that you didn't expect to fall in love with? Me personally, mm-hmm. would be my CNC. Because I remember begrudgingly buying it and thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to really need this. And now I just, I made four signs today that are going to net me a considerable amount of money. No video or anything, but I'm just saying the thing just is just a, a, a great way to earn money if you want to make signs on a CNC. It's just great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with my drum sander or the disc sander, either one, because it makes life so much easier and and faster when you when you have something that can sand away a lot of material really quick. Hmm. Yeah, I I think I'm probably going to go with the bandsaw because um, I didn't have a bandsaw for a really really long time. And it was one of those that, like, I just didn't see why I would need that. Because I was, you know, generally I would think about um, the cuts that I want are need to be straight. And when I think about freehanding a piece through a thin blade, much like the jigsaw, it's like you can't get the straight cut that you probably want. And I just hadn't done any work that needed to not be that. So it was one of those, like, well... You know, people who have shops also have bandsaws. I guess I should probably look at getting a bandsaw. <laughs> and so I didn't really know what I would use it for specifically. And and then as soon as I got it, the first thing I did with it was make a longboard and cut this nice, big, long, curvy shape out of it. And then I was immediately like, oh, okay, I got it. This is extremely useful. I see now. So I think that, that was it for me. Um. Oh, and this is kind of like we were talking about earlier um, if this is from Daniel, if you weren't making YouTube videos, would you have as much knowledge, knowledge as you do now or less? Does YouTube force you to up your game? 
I, I mean, we, I think we kind of already said that, but yeah, for me personally, I know it's forced me and my, my focus on diversity of doing lots of different types of things on video has forced me to learn a bunch of stuff that I wouldn't have pushed myself into or had any reason to learn otherwise. Mm-hmm. I know there's not much I can add to that except yeah. it motivates me to learn new things. Yeah. Definitely. It's a fast answer is yes. It definitely keeps you wanting to make a colorful series of videos. Yeah. And he also asked um, another one. Are there any projects that we would like to revisit or do over? Um, if you could only build one thing for the next year, what would it be? <laughs> Those are two huh. very separate questions. But yeah, I think revisiting is an interesting thing. Uh, do you have any that you've like just haven't ended up like you wanted and it would be cool to go back and redo? Yeah, my David? cookie recipe in the epoxy. That hmm. was a, that was a failure. And that video ended with a failure. And I got a lot of awesome feedback saying, hey, you did that wrong. If you did it this way, it would have worked. And so now <laughs> I have this knowledge thanks to YouTube. Uh, and I think I did say I was going to revisit that project someday. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, me, I probably work more on the car videos if I can go back and uh, kind of – I still – the car, the the old antique car, the antique pickup truck. It's not antique, it's 1970-something pickup truck that I'm working on. I would want to go back and set that series up a little better because I have a lot of people asking me where the series is. And I kind of mm. – I shouldn't have started that the way I did, like with all these promises, and then me just logistically not being in the vicinity of that car as often as I need to be to get a series going. So I always regret telling everybody I was going to do that. But – it's not, it's not over yet. I just need more time. That's it. More time in the vicinity of the house, which is where that project is. Hmm. Yeah, I try to do less. I try to promise less things because of that. Because it's easy to get distracted or want to do something new or this, this new thing has your, your full attention now. So I am trying to make less promises. Mm -hmm. So And today I learned to make less promises. <laughs> yeah I kind of, i'm kind of the same way like i don't i try not to even tease projects that i'm doing unless they're close to being finished because otherwise it's just like you know something may not work at all and just may not even have a failure video it may just not have a video and so like i don't i don't really show that stuff off until i'm pretty sure that i'm gonna be able to pull it off <laughs> try to anyway um <laughs> As far as like redoing videos, though, I don't know that I have a specific. There's several that I'm not crazy about how they came out, but I don't think any of them are interesting enough for me to go back and redo. You know, like they were things that I tried and they were what they were, and nah, you know, um, I'd rather move ahead. I think than try to go back and dig any of those up. I think I if there were old projects that it, that I did want to redo, it would be like a a part two of like, okay, let's redesign this and think this from the ground up and actually make it a whole new video, but maybe use that old video as an inspiration. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. Be cool. Um, so the maker monkey is asking me specifically if Twitch is doing anything for me, if not money, then what? Um, Twitch is kind of an interesting thing for what we do. And, I can pretty confidently say that the money is not making it worthwhile. <laughs> um, the viewer numbers and stuff on Twitch and just the platform is extremely different than YouTube, even though they're both video. It's just a different culture. It has a, an entirely different feel to it and type of 
person that spends time on the platform and stuff like that. The benefit for me in doing it is, well, there's a couple. Um, one is it's a different group of people. And that's really the reason why I'm doing it, because it's an entirely different group of people that uh, may not have found my work otherwise. Um, and so I think that's pretty valuable. That doesn't make it valuable to spend all of your time there, I wouldn't think. But to do a, a little bit of it, you know, once a week or whatever, stuff that where I'm already doing work and then just happen to live stream it there, I think is, is beneficial. I've also found that the, the community that comes up in Twitch, not in all Twitch, but in my uh, chat and stuff, super supportive, super helpful people. And we've actually prototyped a few things live there that have turned into YouTube videos. And it's cool to do that because I can work on something, show it to people. They're giving me feedback and ideas about like, oh, you should try this and oh, you should try this. And so I think the final products that I've put on YouTube have come out better because of that kind of live prototyping session. And that's fun to do. It's fun to think on the fly and try things that don't have to work. You know, it's, it's okay if it doesn't work or look good because it's a prototype. Um, so that's been really cool. And the third thing I think is really useful for me about Twitch is that when I make a project for YouTube, um, I like to keep diversity between the videos. And so when I make one thing, like I'm, I've been interested in foam lately, making EVA foam things. And so I made one project for YouTube, but I can't back that up with another one or another one, you know, like I can't do three or four of those in a row. People will get turned off because that's not what they want to see all the time. I have to spread those things out. Cool thing about Twitch is that's not the case. I can make something on YouTube once and then kind of scratch my itch for doing foam work on Twitch. And it's still valuable shop time. It's still teaching people things in real time. It's still giving me a chance to practice a skill that I want to do. Um, and it's just in the moment, you know, it's, it's not something that's going to turn around and live on YouTube indefinitely mm -hmm. unless I want it to, if I want it to, it can, but you know, it doesn't have to. So I, I don't know that Twitch is valuable for everybody and I don't think it in, in what we do, I'm not sure that it's a good fit for a lot of people, but I'm enjoying it. And I think it's, it's definitely got some more usefulness to me than the money for it's, sure. It's all three of us. We kind of make up our own jobs, right? And if we want to do this for a long time, we need to make sure that we're always having fun and that we enjoy it. And so not everything that we do turns into a revenue stream. Sometimes mm -hmm. we just need to do things because it's fun or to ex experiment. Like, I don't make any money on Snapchat, but that's a fun way for me to express this type of thing or post on Instagram or or whatever. You know, live streaming for some people, it isn't for other people. Just do what is satisfying and fun for you. Even I think if it, experimenting with uh, uh, one more thing, even I, I said that as as part of that's my job or career. But even if you're just having fun, you and it's a hobby, you still want to do these things that are going to be enjoyable for you because happiness mm -hmm. is the end goal for everything, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think you know, experimenting with technology is important too. If you want to be, if if you want to be a part of technology and culture. And so not that you have to be on every platform and do everything all the time and post on every whatever, but you know, when something new comes along, give it a shot, try it out. You may find that you hate Snapchat or you hate Twitch or you hate YouTube. I mean, these things are not for everybody, but you won't know if they're not for you if you don't try them. So 
Um, and I think anything that we do and anything that you, anybody listening does, you know, even if it's as a hobby, you're going to try it for a while. It may work for you for a bit and then just be something that was a time in your life, a thing that you did for a while and something you're not going to continue to do. You know, I don't, I don't expect that everything, every new media type or every new endeavor that I take on is a lifelong thing. These are steps to, you know, try something new, see if it works. If it doesn't leave it behind. So yeah. Um, well, you guys got anything else we want to... Oh, Jimmy, you had something about some tools. What was the... Oh, yeah. We, well, Taylor and I were just having dinner the other night discussing, and she said, wouldn't it be interesting to discuss the idea of the very first time you used your bandsaw, for instance. She talked about making the longboard. And then just last night, I made my Shaper video. It was the very first time I got to use the machine unsupervised, and I was very nervous that I was going to break it because it's a prototype. And I did a couple of dumb things like send the bit down while I was holding the machine without the, the router running, you know, while I was with the lawn. And I immediately was afraid, oh, and it's, a, it's like if you have a CNC and you bottom it out into the wood, you know, you, for instance, you're trying to zero it against the plate if you, and you bottom it out, it, you know, you don't want to push a bit into something while it's not cutting, that'll break something. And so I did that a couple times when I was with him. So I was like, oh, be careful not to do that when you're alone because God forbid I break the thing. I won't know what to do because I didn't build it. These guys literally handmade these units that are going around right now. And uh, so the very first time, uh, you know, for instance, I used my bridge port. I said, do not get your hand caught. Do not get your clothes caught. You know, these are stupid things that I remind myself the very first time I bought that big lathe, and I, this was actually a, a year ago this August, I bought that lathe, and the guy I bought it from asked me to sign a waiver that says if I was to get hurt on it, I wouldn't come back and sue him because he's like, I don't know your skill huh. level. He goes, I don't know anything about you. He goes, no disrespect. He goes, but I'm going to ask you to sign this. That just uh, and, you know, gives him immunity from me trying to sue him in case I get hurt. And so it's funny that people have to consider things like these, but um, you know, the very first time you turn on a tool, just... Uh, I thought maybe we'd share some of those stories about the very first time. And uh, again, my personal experience was that machine last night. And I really honestly thought there's no way I'm going to get through this whole cutting path without a problem. Just because that's just the way it is. The very first time you use a CNC machine, something's going to hiccup. And a couple times, because the machine actually climb cuts, you know, you're literally cutting into material. So when you're running a router on a CNC machine, it has all these physical things keeping it directly on path. When you're pushing a router through the wood, even though it's on the machine that corrects your cut, you could still physically feel that resistance. So there's a couple times where I, like, I'm trying to push and I go right off the line and the machine comes right out of the material. And so you got to get back on the line and start again. And I said, there's no way the line's going to match up. There's just no way. But it lines up perfectly every time. Uh, so hmm. these are just some That's funny so things cool. I was... I was going through my mind using it for the very first time. And what I tell anybody, and I, I, I constantly tell this to like elderly people that are trying to learn how to use a GoPro, for instance. I say, just take it out and play with it. Just play with it. Film your feet, film dinner, film anything. And don't even worry about downloading the footage. Maybe you get a chance to watch it, but just delete it. And I say that about any new tool. Uh, that, that tool hmm. sat in the, in the shop for a full six or seven days before I got a chance to open it. I actually had to upgrade the software. So I was on the phone with them and the machine was connected to the internet and we upgraded the software. And so then I went back to the shop with it and I, now I'm like, oof, now I'm on my own. I have no excuses because the reason I was waiting is because we needed to find a block of time to, to upgrade the software through the internet. And so then once we got that out of the way, 
I was like, oh, now I really have to get into this thing. And I set my goals the way I typically do. I say, between this moment and three hours from now, that's going to be in the past. All the stress and, and, and worry is going to be in the past. So just get into it. Dive headlong into it. Do not hesitate or hiccup. Just go into it and you deal with any problems. You call the company if there's a problem. And uh, I didn't have to. Call. It worked well. And so just the first time. That was my first time. I'm no longer a virgin. I- I love that philosophy of, you know, these problems are going to be in your past in a little bit. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can look at so many things like that. Yeah. No, yeah. I, honestly, I would wake up when I was in high school. I had this philosophy for a long time because I would wake up, I'd open up my eyes and I'd be like, okay, today's the SAT. In 12 hours from now, all this will be over and gone. <laughs> It'll be like, yeah. like feathers in the wind. It's just going to be, so let's just try and do the best I can while it's, becoming history yeah it's like doing time in jail well, i never had to do it but if you sit and you think 25 years just went by if i was in jail i'd be getting out right now <laughs> that is if i went into jail for 25 years yeah and i behaved and i behaved well <laughs> <laughs> what are the chances of that yeah <laughs> i can say like uh 3d printing for me and kind of CNC, uh, I think both gave me kind of like a distaste the first time I used them. You know, like both of those things that I used the first time were kits. And so anytime that a human is involved in putting a kit together that they're not really, you know, they don't know all the ins and outs of, there's going to be a lot of error and just tweaking that has to happen as you get more familiar with the kit. And so like... I had better success with the CNC, the Shapeoko 2 that I had, but the first 3D printer I put together was just a complete disaster as far as usage. Assembly was fine. It went together fine. It looked fine. But when I actually tried to use it, I was like, this is worthless. Like, the output of this thing that I spent my time putting together was just like, ugh. And so then I had to decide, what is it worth me putting in more time to try to get this thing to output what I th- expected it to output or what I want it to output. Um, and, you know, there was a threshold where I did put in some more time, but then I came in, you know, I got access to some other 3D printers and realized that there are other ones that work better, that do what I expect them to do. That's where I should put my time and figuring out how to use those rather than put the time in to try to make this one thing what it should be. And I, I'm not saying this as a fault of the machine. It was a kit, and and I think um, I just didn't have a realistic expectation of like what you would have to do to a kit to get it where I wanted it to be. So I think anybody that's you know building because a lot of people ask me about building CNC machines or or 3D printers like, and I, I think there's a misconception that you're just gonna like put the kit together and it's gonna be just as good as the ones you buy assembled, and that's not the case. You can get it there, but you have to be aware of what it's going to take to get it there. Hmm. Yeah, I, as far as, like, I don't have any real good, like, first-time tool use stories. I find myself, like, when I my mind says, hey, you should own this thing, I have to buy it, like, right now. Because in my head, I think, oh, I need this right now. And then what happens is I get that, and then it sits for a few days because I hate assembling and i hate setting up and so 
I, 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 do, I do this all the time. And going back to, you mentioned life casting earlier. I have this idea for this sculpture that involves my hand and one of Jimmy's ice picks, actually. And I bought the, the life casting kit. And it's just been sitting in my basement for months because I have to go and I have to learn all the, the, the techniques. I've seen the videos, but now I have to go and rewatch them before. I, and it's just, it's just holding me back. Hmm. Yep. That's yeah. it. You got to set that time and space and say between now and four hours from now, this will be a memory. Mm-hmm. Helps you cope. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that type of stuff is, I've always had a problem with um, putting off little, like a thing that I know I need to do, but I'm not super jazzed about doing and I'll put it off. And the more I put it off, the bigger of a deal it becomes in my mind. You know, and so the further you push it out, it's like, oh, that's going to be super hard. And then the next day, it's like, that's going to be really hard. I'm never going to be able to do that. And <laughs> so you're like kind of messing yourself up in two different directions, right? You're making it take longer and you're making it a way bigger deal in your head than like your dishwasher should be. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and five minutes in and it was fixed and yeah. I wasted a bunch of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do that with clients sometimes. I promise them everything's going to be done on time. And I, I always get it done on time, but I always promise them like progress shots if it's something I'm building in the shop. And I just avoid doing the whole project at all, like homework. I just avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll get your picture soon. And then I avoid it and I avoid it. And then like, oh, my God, why did I do this? Now I have to do everything in like the next hour just to at least get a progress shot. And uh, yeah, so that avoidance thing is funny where we just like mentally avoid it because somehow there's like a fear attached to it. Yeah. It's funny though, we avoid it and we push it off, but then we also carry the kind of mental weight of the thing that's undone, right? We, in the back of our heads, we're like, oh, I still got to do that thing. I still got to do that thing. And it makes, you know, it's just something else to think about while you're doing the stuff that you really want to do. Yeah. Whereas if we just get those things done, get them out of the way, then your mind is so much more free to focus on what you're actually doing. Um, anyway, I found that about myself. Well, uh, that's the importance of having lists. We've talked about lists many times of having something written down either on paper or on a list on your computer and prioritizing things and just sticking to that. Yeah. Make a little bit of progress. I mean, you don't have to do everything, but just making some progress towards the things on your list is encouraging, I think. Cool. Well, um, before we talk about what we've been watching, I want to thank our Patreon supporters. Um, you guys are awesome. We continue to uh, get support there, and we really appreciate it, uh, especially Make, Build, Modify, John Cornwell and Luis Gonzalez. They're our top patrons, and we appreciate them and everybody else that supports us over there. So if you guys want to help out the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making it, and you know anything there would be awesome. Also, just sharing the show with people that you know. You know, Post it on Twitter, Facebook, show it to your grandma, whatever. <laughs> um, she may not like it, but she may. You don't know until you try. She can run a CNC machine, so she might like the show. That's true. T-shirts. We have T-shirts for sale on our website at makingitpodcast.com. Over in the right column, there's a link. You can go check that out. And if you already bought a T-shirt, send us a tweet with you wearing it mm. or opening it up or, or whatever. And you know, I'll be happy to repost it on my account. Yeah, it'd be cool. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the first time tool usage. If you guys are doing something, a new skill or using a tool for the first time, send us a picture. 
That'd be awesome to see. Please. Just want to hear about it, you know? Um, what have you guys been watching? Jimmy? Well, leading up to my... Me? Yeah, leading up to my preparation for the Shaper video, I was watching the Shaper channel, so I'm going to promote those guys. And uh, that, that machine actually went on pre-sale today. And it seems like a lot of people are talking about it. They put out a video with Make. I put out the video on my channel, and they went for pre-sale today for the first time. This is today's Tuesday. So they're only going to sell a limited number, too, by the way. They're not going to sell... Hmm. Uh, they, they, I think something to the effect of they just want to make sure the first batch doesn't have too many bugs in it, so they don't want to make a half a million things that need a lot of software updates. So they're going to keep a limited edition. So uh, as, as the machine evolves... I think there'll be a second edition and so on and so on. But yeah, check out their channel. There's a lot of answers for a lot of the questions on their channel. Shaper, the origin machine. Cool. I, I really think that thing's a game changer. I, it just feels it like does it, so many yeah. awesome things. Yeah. So I have, I just finished an audiobook called The Happiness Advantage. The Seven Principles of Positive Psychology that Fuel Success and Performance at Work. And it's just... um. It's just a really good book. It's it's if you do something that you don't like, it's how to give that something purpose and find happiness in it. So it's called the happiness advantage. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I don't know if I've talked about him before, but Evil Ted Smith. Have I mentioned him before? No. Oh. So Ted Smith um, has been in the film industry for years and years and years. Make props and costumes. He started a YouTube channel a while back. I'm not exactly sure. He just broke 100,000 subscribers. Um, he's done some stuff with Tested. But he's a really cool, really nice guy and extremely talented as far as like uh, all sorts of prop and costume stuff. He shares all of his knowledge on his channel and um, it's just cool. And he, he's a Twitch streamer as well. So like when I see him streaming, I always hop, try to hop in there and and watch because he's just, you know, he's just a happy guy and he shares a lot of really awesome information. So go check out evil Ted Smith. Evil Ted's happy. Uh, evil Ted is happy. It's funny because he and Bill Duran are friends. And so you have Bill and Ted, but I don't think they've ever done like a costume as Bill and Ted. Cause that would be fantastic. That would be excellent. Uh, yes. Bill and Ted, if you're listening, do that. Cool. That's it for this week, I guess, unless you guys got anything else. Are we going to talk about what we learned today? If you have something, sure. Well, do we want what to do that? Do we want to do that? Yeah, let's do it. Sure, let's, let's do, it. do it. I learned that it's really important to level your CNC table, especially when you're doing very thin, small letters. Because one side of the sign will basically be underwater and the other one will be out of the water. That's a metaphor for the idea that the bit will touch the wood too deep in one spot and not deep enough in the other. So... How how did you level your CNC table? I just cracked the hot glue and stuck a wood wedge under that corner of the sign, and then it was perfect. Mm. Gotcha. Because hmm. there's a you could there, there's ways to do that, and then you can get a perfectly level table by putting the leveling bit in there, and then going across your entire yep. wasteboard. Um, I've done that when I have like a, like a lot mess. of production. I do that when I have a lot of production. If I know I have to do a lot of things and I'm not, I don't have time to twiddle and fiddle each time, uh, I'll do that. But this time I was just uh, spontaneously trying and I guessed that it looked level and it wasn't. That's it. 
I learned that giving some responsibility to somebody else can really help improve your overall workflow. Uh, I, I've mentioned it before. I've, I've got an assistant who comes and helps me out on Tuesdays, and we shot three, maybe four videos today. And I don't think hmm. I've ever would have been able to do that by myself. So that was it was just an awesome, satisfying feeling. And it took a lot of pressure off me to just give that to somebody else. Interesting. I would I would agree with that, by the way. Um, let's see. I learned today that the typical pen blank is three-quarter by three-quarter by five or six. And the reason I learned that is because I was going through – I have tons of – whoa, that is a cool pen that Jimmy is holding up. Uh, it's a, a it's gift like, from a, a fan. That's great. It's got a PCB, like a circuit board yep. as the – Wow. Um, anyway, I, I was going through a bunch of scrap that I have, and I was looking at it, and I was like, man, this is like teak and walnut and maple, these little pieces that I've, have been in this bucket forever. I wonder if somebody could make pens out of these. And so then I asked um, on Facebook, like, what the kind of, you know, general sizes that people need pen blakes for, and it turned out that almost all of it was. So I'm going to wrap it up and give it to somebody that makes pens rather oh. than burn it or throw it in the trash. Cool. That's it. Unless you guys learned more stuff that you want to talk about. <laughs> nope. That's it. I'm sorry. I was so cool. tired today. I haven't been sleeping well, so I had low energy, and I apologize to everybody for that. I still love everybody. No matter what, Jimmy loves you. I do, even, right. even though I need sleep. <laughs> cool. Well, get some sleep, Jimmy. Everybody else, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. See ya.